top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. This week we'll be welcoming back Shane Barclay. You can hear Shane talk about his company Japan Ball in episode 33 of the Irish Baseball Podcast by going to irishbaseball.org. In today's show, Shane will be talking about his work with the World Baseball Classic, as well as his unique Chinese-Irish-American heritage. Thanks for joining us, Shane. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You have worked with the World Baseball Classic, which I think is a very underrated event. It isn't necessarily new. It's been going on for over 15 years now. However, it's still trying to get that international support to put it up with some of the other international tournaments you've played a big part in the world baseball classic why don't you tell us a little bit about that yeah first of all i agree i mean it's a fantastic event it hasn't gained attraction in in the u.s that i think people wanted although the u.s winning the last edition of the wbc i think really helped in that regard and i think a lot of people started to pay attention and then going into the next one which will be next year it's going to be hopefully a bigger deal in the U.S. That's being said, you go to these other countries, like, you know, in Japan, in uh, the Dominican Republic, the Netherlands, like, it's a huge deal. Players in those countries have a lot of national pride. Like, they associate baseball with national pride. In the U.S., you grow up maybe wanting to win the World Series. In these other countries, a lot of them grow up, like, wanting to represent their country. Well, for a lot of those players, playing on the international stage, wearing your flag on your sleeve is kind of the culmination of, of your career. And so that is an example they have. And, and then that really just translates to the field. And that's why I love the WBC. I imagine it is a lot to do why you like it too, Rick, because these guys are just, they're putting it all out there. Like you, even the American guys who never really like thought, representing us was a big deal all of a sudden like you're representing your country and everything changes and um these guys are playing as intensely as they ever will and then the cool thing to see is they're having so much fun doing it because they're with their fellow countrymen in the dugouts and um you know especially these other countries like some of the ones i mentioned the latin teams really stand out for example like team puerto rico these guys can be themselves when they're playing in WBC and they're playing, they're playing with guys that they grew up with. They, they don't have to worry about, um, is my teammate going to think that I shouldn't be showing up the other team? Like they can play with their emotions and it's unlike any form of baseball. So yeah, I'm really lucky to have worked on, uh, WBC the last, uh, let's see, I guess, um, it will be like 10 years or so. Um, yeah, and I know there's only a few WBCs during that span, but with the qualifiers and other things, it's, it's kind of a constant thing if you're on the organizing side. And, uh, I just couldn't be happier with a job like that, you know, like to, um, get paid to go watch some of these games is, is just so fun. So we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but you have mentioned that you are Chinese, Irish, American. And every time I have watched the World Baseball Classic, I'm the kind of guy who stays up really, really late. So I get excited when 
it's that first week of the World Baseball Classic and they're playing the games in Asia and they're coming on at like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning in the United States. And I was fascinated by the Chinese team in the World Baseball Classic because they are so new to the sport of baseball in China, but they're trying to compete in this international level with countries who've been doing it a lot longer than them. What's it like as China is trying to get a foothold in the international baseball game? How is baseball developing in the country? Well, China's made good progress. They're starting from hardly any sort of foundation. And actually, Major League Baseball has played a big role in that because from a business perspective, just like I think most sports, NBA did a good job in China and um, MLB wants China to be a market for business and 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 it would be great for that to be a source for players as well. I mean, it's an athletic nation with so many people. They have such a successful sports programs with the Olympics and everything. Like China has proven that they are able to develop athletes and MLB has partnered with the Chinese government to create some development academies for youth players and is really, you know, you don't have to make it the biggest sport in the country when there's that many people. You just have to have it be a niche thing that can hopefully grow incrementally. And that's what MLB is trying to do. And it's really cool. to, Like you said, it's fun watching these guys because, yeah, they're playing a little bit out of their league for sure when they're, um, you know, playing against some of these other national teams that have a long history of baseball. Um, but it's cool to see. You know, the like I said, the pride and the enthusiasm, and and they're not getting down because they're getting beat up pretty good on the field. Like they're really proud of what they're able to do. And you know, in in China, if you're playing baseball, you maybe aren't the best athlete because if you showed tremendous athleticism as a youngster, they're going to direct you towards other sports. So a lot of these guys probably have a little more chip on their shoulder and have an extra amount of pride because they're playing this sport that in China a lot of people don't really get. But it's a, it's definitely a long play with baseball there. Like they're still a ways away from really being able to compete. But you know Taiwan, which is obviously closely related to China, they have fantastic baseball there because they have a longer history of it, and their professional league is really strong, um, and their national team is also really strong. And so that's not China, um, but I think China sees. Taiwan, they see Japan, they see Korea, and they're thinking like, hey, we could be there too. And, and they're really motivated. In China, if if it's an Olympic sport, then that means that money is going to be put into it. Unfortunately, baseball is leaving the Olympics for the next edition, which is in France, but then it'll be back uh, for LA in 2028. So hopefully China is going to still keep investing in that sport and MLB will still support them and sending coaches and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I think It'll be fun to see if they can emerge uh, and compete with the other Asian countries. Because the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society, he produced a documentary called The Emerald Diamond, and it was about trying to develop a national team. Well, developing baseball first and then a national team in Ireland. And I sort of see some similarities between trying to build the game in Ireland and trying to build it in China, even though China probably has even less of a concept of the basic rules than maybe they do in Ireland, where everybody has a couple cousins who live in the United States. But it's just interesting to watch a country try to go from 
the starting line to building a program while all of these other countries are leaps and bounds ahead of them. And it sort of creates this Cinderella story Mm -hmm. in the World Baseball Classic. I know when the Irish national team started winning games, it was a really, really big deal. There's going to be a time where China wins a game in the WBC, and it's going to be a legendary experience for people in that country. I do want to move on from that point to your Chinese and Irish heritage. I know that's something that's really important to you, and you like that unique background that you have in your life. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I always say I'm Chirish, and people usually have to think for a second about that. So, yeah, I'm Chinese and Irish. If you're a quarter Irish, you say you're half. If you're half Irish, you say you're full. You know, it's like kind of how it is. Um, and so I'm technically a quarter Irish, but that means I say I'm half. <laughs> but I can't get away with saying I'm, I'm full because uh, it's kind of obvious I'm not. But um, yeah, my, I mean, my dad's family is, is from County Waterford from a ways back. You know, they've been in the U.S. for a long time. My mom's family is Cantonese, but they've actually been in the U.S. for longer than pretty much all European immigrants, like talking like, I think maybe 1870s or so, uh, they came over to California from China. So it's kind of a long American history, but the Irish and Chinese heritage and pride has definitely um, stayed, you know, through my generation. You know, my mom's family is, they grew up like in Chinatown in San Francisco and, and really, you know, identify with that culture. And so growing up, I've, I've had these two different sides that obviously don't have a lot of mixing traditionally, um, but in California and in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, it's not unprecedented to have that sort of uh, matchup. And and, um, and I'm happy to be able to embrace both parts of that culture. You know, like I said, they're very different. Not usually not a lot of overlap, but I'm happy to be the product of that overlap. And, and, and I try to embrace both sides strategically uh, or you know independently uh, to to my benefit. <laughs> A lot of the conversation that we have here on the Irish Baseball Podcast, we talk about how baseball helped integrate the Irish into the broader American society. There were obviously like the know-nothings and a lot of animosity towards Irish people, especially in the East Coast of the United States. But then your family, your other side, has overcome some really big obstacles also on the West Coast that are similar but quite different in another way and probably not having that association with things that are considered American has probably made it harder for others to see Chinese immigrants, Chinese Americans who've been here for a number of years because they didn't have baseball show them, yes, they are a part of this country. And we try to look at that When we talk about things like the Irish using baseball as a way to move up in society, we try to not forget that black players weren't allowed in the major leagues until the 1940s. And we try to look at the other groups that didn't have that same advantage of being able to use this game to make them appear more American. 100%. And yeah, you bring up some really good points. I mean, the Irish and the Chinese, when they arrived to the U.S., were treated very similarly, as in they were just treated as others and below the color line and relegated to living in the same, you know, 
confined to a physical space. My mom's, her family, uh, like her older sisters and her parents were living in Chinatown and the family had been in the U.S. for like practically a century at that point. But they still, you know, because it wasn't really accepted to be integrated into the society, they stayed like that until um, my mom was younger and they, and they moved to the to Palo Alto in California, uh, but still they were the only Chinese family in, in the neighborhood. And um, the Irish, yeah, they had baseball, as you guys have documented so well. And it, the Chinese, I don't think they really had that. And it's too bad that they didn't. Um, the Japanese actually did have baseball. And uh, I mentioned Rob Fitz, the author earlier. He has another amazing book called Nisei Baseball, and it's about Japanese immigrants and their children and their efforts to acclimate and be accepted in the U.S. through baseball and um, a way of kind of proving their Americanness. I think still to this day, the Chinese have a hard time being able to do that. And it's just becoming a little bit more accepted that, you know, you may have a Chinese lead role in a movie that's not playing a caricature of an Asian person. They're just playing a person. You know, I will say, though, that like one silver lining of that for both sides, for the Irish and the Chinese is a strong preservation of culture through the generations, which is which is really neat to uh, to take part in and just to see and learn about. So before I let you go, I want to get back to the World Baseball Classic for just a moment. As you mentioned, it's coming up again next year. Are you expecting that this year might be the year that it makes that jump in popularity? I don't know who's going to end up being on the U.S. team, but obviously there are a lot of big names that could be taking part for the United States. I think everybody is hoping that Shohei Otani takes part in the games for Japan. This could be a real showcase for the entire game internationally if everything goes well coming up in 2023. Do you think this could be the time that the games really go to that next level? I think it's definitely possible, and, and I'm, I have my fingers crossed it is. You know, like I said, with the U.S. winning, that really helps this time around in the U.S. gaining attention. You know, the finals and, and the semifinals are always played in the U.S., and so you want the American fans to be invested. I think Major League Baseball wants, who puts on the World Baseball Classic, they want the American fans to be into it. Otherwise, it's hard to make it achieve all the goals you want it to. So that's the first part I think is going to help a lot. But really what you're mentioning is the key, right? I mean, if you have Shohei Otani playing and now Seiya Suzuki and uh, Yu Darvish playing for Team Japan, if you have Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, you know, all these all these guys, Mookie Betts, uh, Kershaw, I don't know, but um, Scherzer, you know, whoever, name your, name your player – that's really going to be the difference, I think. In the in the past, there have been star players that have played for sure, but it's never been all of them, you know. And and in the last WBC for the U.S., they, they won, and they had they had Buster Posey, they had Paul Goldschmidt, um, but those aren't the dynamic personalities that really are moving the needle. So if you all of a sudden have Fernando Tatis, you have a Dominican team that's Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Juan Soto, like. I'm sorry, but no pitcher in the world would uh, would embrace that challenge. Um, and then you have a Japan team with the guys you mentioned, the U.S. team with the superstars that that we have, um, and then you can just go country to country. Like, 
how could you not as a baseball fan or even just a sports fan be intrigued by that? So yeah, I'm really hoping that it really takes that next step up. I'll be there working at it and uh, watching it and having a good time. And I encourage all of you listeners, if you haven't been uh, take Rick's advice, like it's, it's really exciting. And uh, whether you're staying up late to watch the games on the other side of the world or, or finding a way to attend in person, like it's, it's worth the effort. And you do a lot of the organization leading up to the world baseball classic. What is that like navigating all the different countries, the different languages, the different political realities, as you try to put together this gigantic event? It's difficult. It's very difficult. For example, uh, verifying each player's ability to represent their country per the rules is very difficult. And the WBC has a little bit looser. You know, it's not just you have to be a citizen, right? If you have to, if your parent was a citizen, that qualifies. And, you know, there's different rules on, on how you can represent your country. Um, and so that's really complicated. And then um, the, the tournament itself has all sorts of unique rules and and then each federation, you know, your national baseball federation is the one that's really putting the team together for each country. And they all have their different motivations and different ways of doing things. So, yeah, like I said, it may happen every four years, but it's a lot of buildup getting to that point. And the thing that is cool about WBC, but also makes it way more difficult is they're not playing in one venue in one country. They're playing, you know, you you go from korea to japan on one side of the world and then you're going from maybe i don't know some somewhere in uh south america or mexico um to florida and you're kind of like building up and then your finals might be in a different venue than your quarterfinals and then and and so it's just like there's moving parts everywhere and it's cool because it draws fans and, and gains interest in all these different areas but you can't just uh plan for one set of circumstances. So Shane Barclay from Japan Ball, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, our website is japanball.com. I recommend signing up for our newsletter if if you're curious about our tours. Um, you can be kept informed of of what we're doing. Uh, but we're also on social media. Twitter and Facebook is at Japan Ball. Instagram is at Japan Ball Travel. Uh, through all those platforms, we are letting people know about what we're up to travel-wise, but also just trying to entertain and inform and educate about Japanese baseball primarily, but just international baseball in general. We're big believers in the unifying aspects of baseball and, 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 and that baseball is a global game. So uh, if, that, if those are ideas that resonate with you, I, I ask that you follow us because you're probably going to be a friend of ours. Thank you so much for joining us, Shane. You're welcome, Rick. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That was Shane Barclay of Japan Ball. As I mentioned earlier, you can hear Shane talk about Japan Ball in episode 33 of the Irish Baseball Podcast by heading to irishbaseball.org. That episode aired back in April. Also on irishbaseball.org, catch episodes of The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV. Hosted by the founder of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, Sean Clancy. You should also visit BaseballUnitedFoundation.org to follow our efforts to bring baseball to young people in Northern Ireland, as well as many other projects. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been Episode 42 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. 
Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.